Lord, we've come to the time in this service when we open your word and we glean from its pages help and strength and encouragement and guidance. We know that your word, O oh Lord, is a light and it's a lamp and it is a powerful force in the lives of believing Christians. I thank you for the opportunity to gather today in your name and I ask you to bless the Word of God as it goes forth, that we will hear what the Spirit of God has to say to the church. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 35 through 44. Jesus, at this time, has been about His ministry for a good while there are a large number of people that are following him about from village to village. And he is constantly teaching and constantly discipling people. You know, the Bible said, uh, make disciples of all nations. Part of our mandate, part of our great commission is go into all the world and preach the gospel. And it also says for us to disciple those that get saved. You see, the church has a responsibility there not only to reach lost people, but also to disciple them and to train them. The Lord was a very attractive force for desperate individuals to turn to. He was a powerful, powerful answer to many of the problems that faced the everyday people in uh, Palestine, in the Middle East, in Israel. And these people found in Jesus bright hope, bright optimism. Many of them, their lives were miserable otherwise. But they tread those dusty roads and they put themselves in dire situations oftentimes simply because they were so intrigued with the words that fell from the mouth of Jesus. Mark chapter 6 Mark, isn't it interesting that that bears your name, that gospel? So one of my good friend, Mark Moore, back here and his sweet wife, and I said, well, I'm preaching for Mark today, so it's good that Mark came in. Amen. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Boy, that's a great statement. I could just stop right there and preach. Jesus saw... And Jesus had compassion. Jesus, what did he see? He saw a great number of people, much people. And when he saw that great crowd of people, he was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The one fact that Jesus realizes that his people are sheep. Now, I want to tell you that God does not, God's Word does not compliment us when He calls us sheep. Sheep aren't really intelligent. You've seen trained dogs, trained elephants, trained leopards, trained tigers. Have you ever seen a trained sheep? Well, they're just not very smart. In fact, they have to have a shepherd to lead them and to care for them simply because they're defenseless, because they're just not very smart. They're not vicious. You've heard of vicious cougars and vicious bear, vicious sharks. Have you ever heard of a vicious sheep? They're just defenseless. They really don't have anything to fight back with. They're totally dependent upon the shepherd. They must have a shepherd or else they won't, they won't survive. And when Jesus said he looked at this congregation, he saw this great number of people, and he was moved with compassion because they had no one to provide for them, and they had no one to defend them. And he did exactly what he was sent to this world to do. He began then to teach them many things. 
And as Jesus was teaching from a heart of compassion to this large number of people who were like sheep, the day was now far spent. And his disciples came to him and said, This is a desert place, and the time is far past. In other words, the disciples said, Hey, we've stood here silent long enough. We've got to tell him. He's got to stop preaching. We've got to do something about this situation. It's getting worse every minute. There's a terrible calamity about to happen here. We've been traveling now for 10 miles from uh, the last place to get food. We need to dismiss these people and let them go out in the villages and in the uh, settlements and see if they can find food to buy because if we don't, something terrible is going to happen. Now, what does that tell you? Number one, it tells you they didn't trust Jesus. If Jesus is the light of the world, if Jesus is creator God, if Jesus is the one who all things consist by the word of his mouth, then surely Jesus had a way that he felt like this was going to play out. But the disciples were so impatient Dumb disciples. So impatient, they pressed the issue and said, Lord, Lord, we're in a developing crisis here. The situation is already dire, and we'd better do something quickly or it's going to get out of hand. Have you ever been in a situation that you felt like the Lord had forgot about you. And you said, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? Lord, don't you realize how desperate and desolate and despondent things are? Surely you must know that immediate action is needed. And he, they even went one step further and said, why don't we just do something about this and send these people away? Verse 36, send them away that they may go into the country roundabout in the villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. And Jesus answered and said unto them, give ye them to eat. What's he saying? The disciples were saying, Lord, these people don't have anything to eat. And Jesus just simply said, well, feed them. Well, feed them. Lord, these people need to be fed. Well, feed them. Lord, it's been a long time since these folks had anything to eat. Feed them. Jesus must have had another answer to the situation. It wasn't playing out the way Jesus wanted it to play out. I would wonder what, he, what kind of a banquet he was going to spread if they could just wait it to his time. I wonder what kind of delicious food and wonderful, wonderful food cuisine. What's a good word? Wouldn't it be good if they could just have waited and enjoyed his best? But they insisted, Lord, we got to do something. These people are going to perish here. That's, they're 10 miles from home. We followed you 10 miles on this track we're on right now and you've been stopping and teaching stopping and teaching stopping and teaching and meeting needs along the way praying for blind people and getting a little child delivered from a, a an evil spirit and and uh, oh, oh oh yeah that guy named legion over there on that uh aisle called gadara uh you, you went over there and freed him from that legion of devils and we've been we've been on this track for a while now and these people are pretty well wore out, Lord. There are many people who can school you well on all the reasons why things can't, can't happen. Why you're so foolish to believe that God would take care of this. That the answer, I've had them tell me, you think it's as simple as all of that? What they're saying to you is, I'd rather 
keep my situation complicated. And I'm offended because you simplify things. Well, the Bible simplifies things. It just simply says, hope in God. Three words. Just hope in God. Have faith in God. No long discourse. No, no long speech. Just simply will have faith in God. And that's what Jesus says to these disciples. They, they tell Jesus as if he wasn't aware. In fact, they had to assume he is so caught up in his teaching that he don't know things are deteriorating all around him. He is so busy teaching and telling people that he's lost complete track of what's going on around him. You know, there, there are some folks that live just like that. Yeah, the Lord's too busy to fool with me. The Lord's got all these planets in orbit, and He's got all these solar systems and these black holes and all this. The Lord must be awful busy controlling worlds and universes, but uh, how could He be worried about my, my power bill and my, my car payment that's two weeks past due? It's hard for us to realize that, that God can work in little things. That He's not just the God who does big things, spectacular things. And I want to tell you, He does superlative things in spectacular means. He is a powerful, almighty God that loves to take impossible situations and build a, a memorial to His glory and to His honor out of simply nothing. He can take nothing. Sometimes He takes a little. Sometimes He takes nothing. In fact, the Bible said He looked into that vast, chaotic universe and spoke order into chaos. Looked out into nothing and nowhere and said, let there be. And there was. See, so many are limited by got to have something to work with. Sometimes God uses things that you've got to work with. And sometimes they're small things. There was a little lady in 2 Kings that the Bible said she was out gathering sticks when the pastor dropped by. And she was gathering sticks to build a fire so that she could take a little meal and a drop or two of oil and make a cake, she said, and then die. Brother, you're talking about down in the dumps. She said, oh, man of God. The man of God said, make me a cake. And no doubt inside under her breath, she said, are you kidding me? Famine on everywhere. All kinds of terrible atrocities taking place. And he wants me to cook him a cake. And she said, oh man of God, I'm gathering these sticks to build a fire to cook one more pone of bread and said, then me and my son are going to die. Just lay down and die. There's no future for us. It's over. We've got this little bit left, and that's all we're going to get, and so we're going to die when that's over. And he said, go in the house and make me a cake. And she said, at thy word. At thy word. 
And she went into the house and, and made the, the cake, the pone of bread as it was, flat bread, I'd say. And the Bible said, and for the duration of the famine, there was always oil in her cruise, and there was always meal in her barrel. You see, God can take little insignificant things, but He's got to have sticks. He's got to have wood. He's got to have that cross inserted into every situation that He does. You've got to have some sticks. Glory to God. I had a pastor friend that God told him, he said, I want you to pay this church off. He said, God, you know we struggle. And said, God told him, said, in March of next year, I want you to have this thing paid off. He said, well, we worked real hard and we got down to about $100,000. We needed $100,000 and said that Sunday was coming upon us quick. And he said, I was panicking, saying, God, what in the world are we going to do? Going to be embarrassed in front of all these other churches and people. How in the world are we going to be able to ever get through this? And he said he got in his car and started driving down the highway. Sometimes you just need to get away from that all, don't you? Sometimes you just need to ride a while. <laughs> And he just tore out down the interstate out of Atlanta just driving and said he pulled in at one of those, those cities down there, a little place that the interstate rolled through is the main thing ever happened to that place. And he said there was an old train station out there and said there was an old pew sitting there, looked like a church pew. And he said, I just went into that place with weeds growing up around the rails and everything. It was obvious they'd abandoned it. And he said, I... I got out and went over there and sat down on the bench and said I took me a Baby Ruth candy bar and a Diet Coke with me. Diet Coke and a Baby Ruth candy bar. There's a message in that somewhere. And he said I was sitting there eating my Baby Ruth sipping on my Diet Coke and feeling sorry for myself and panicking and wondering how in the world was I going to get out of it. And said, there was a little lady. Said, she come walking down that railroad track. And said, when she got up to me, said, she was singing. I know the Lord will make a way for me. I know the Lord will make a way for me. If I live a holy life, shun the wrong and do the right, I know the Lord will make a way for me. And he said, she walked right over in front of me. And she said, Sonny boy, said the Lord woke me up this morning and showed me your face. And he said, she said, he told me to tell you that there's one more pinch of meal in the barrel and there's one more drop of oil in the cruise. said, I jumped in my car and took off back to Atlanta and said, I walked in and said, the secretary was sitting there and she said, you're not going to believe what happened. And he said, what? Said, there's, I believe said that guy's name was Cotton and said, his wife came in and had this big grocery sack and said, had money stuck all in it, about $20,000 worth. And she said, he said, well, what did she say? Well, the reason why she brought it. She said, said, me and Cotton have been just given a token of our tithes for years. We've never paid our tithe. And said, we were sitting around talking about how good God had been to us. 
and said, we got to talking about it, and we decided we need to bring our tithe in, our rightful tithe in. And said, about that time, the phone rang, and he walked over, and it was the, uh, I believe he said, the Methodist church up the day. said, the Lord spoke to us in our prayer meeting this morning and said for us to give you $5,000 to help you pay off your church. Well, the phone rang all afternoon of people said, the Lord spoke to me and told me to give this. The Lord, uh, I was down praying and the Lord just impressed me that I needed to bring this. And when it was all totaled, it was over the amount that he needed to pay the church off. Little is much if God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. You see, God loves to take little things and make big things happen. He's the God of the spectacular. Yes, He is. Loves to take things that you've given up on and revive them, bring them back to life, and make something great for His glory and great for His honor. And He said, well, just feed them and give ye them to eat. And they say unto Him, shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Now, that, we have to go back to John's gospel. And listen, this one event is the only one that is recorded by all four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can you believe that? The only one. Why did they all record it? Because it's so important. John tells who said that. He said, uh, Andrew and Philip said this. He said, how can we do this? If we had all this money and could buy all of this bread, listen to what he said, how many loaves have you, Jesus said. Well, he'd already counted how much it would cost. A penny worth is a day's wages. In order to feed that thing, how many did he say? How many penny worth? 200 penny worth. That would take a laborer eight months of working every day to have enough money. He said, if we had 200 penny worth of bread, that still wouldn't be. But what is that? Have you ever said to God, what is that? I've got this, but what is that? My puny little old amount here that I've got, what is that? The problem is bigger than what I've got. The situation is more dire than I can pay. I, I need, it's the equivalent of about $15,000 in today's money to feed this. Well, actually, it was 5,000 men. But you count the women and the children with the men, and you've got a congregation over 20,000. Now, when you've got 20,000 people that haven't ate all day and have followed you 10 miles while you preach, then you've got a situation, haven't you? And Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Call the accountant. Call the bank and see what you owe. See what you got. How many loaves do you have? First thing you need to do, is to take inventory. What are my resources? What have I got? And you may come back with the attitude of these guys. And when they knew, knew they had five and two fishes. Five loaves. It, that act, it's a, about the size of a small pancake, I guess you'd say. And he said, if we had... All of three of these, five of these, and two fish. And the Lord, the Bible said the Lord took what he said. And he said, tell everybody, 
to make rolls here. That's what companies mean. Put them into companies. And they laid down or sat down on the side of that hill while the Lord discipled his disciples. This is all about disciples being discipled. And he commanded them to make everybody sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and he blessed it. How long has it been since you took what you got and looked up to heaven and blessed it? How long have you taken what you thought was not enough? How long has it been since you talk, took what your meager sum, your little old sultry sum was and looked up and said, bless your name, God. See if you can bless God in the little things. The Bible says he'll never promote you to big things until you first learn how to handle little things. So many people want to jump these steps of discipleship and learning these lessons. In other words, they just want big things right off the bat. But God will usually train you and disciple you in giving the smaller things first and let you graduate. That's good preaching. Because most folks want what they want and they want it right now. And that weight that is attached to serving God, he took those loaves and fishes and he looked up to heaven and he blessed it and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. Say that with me. He blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Well, there's power in that right there. Because this is not a mortal man that's doing this. This is not just man on the street. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the miracle worker, the sea walker, the blind eye opener, and the deaf ear unstopper. This is the answer to every problem. This is the dearest of all eternity that is saying these words. He blessed it. And he broke it and he gave it. Glory to God. If we could ever in the kingdom of God learn those three things. If we could learn how to bless what God blesses. If we could ever get in step with God and get in coordination with God and in rhythm with God so that we could bless what God is doing. So many times we overlook and miss out on much of the joy because we fail to bless the blesser. We fail to look up. Wow. You see, there are so many things that will throw you a curve and make you miss it if you're not careful. But God wants you to know what's going on in your life and to look up. Sam, he just wants us to look up. And bless him. And bless him. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it. Now, I want to tell you, this had to be a miracle of creation. And it had to be a miracle of compassion and distribution. So, in other words, these disciples had to make many trips back to Jesus. 25,000 people and 12 disciples. Count it up. Many trips. I wonder how many trips they, they made. 
Thomas, did you keep up with how many children? It's too much to count. Nathaniel, how about you? <laughs> I, I can't count them either. I, I got tired of counting a long time ago. Bartholomew, Simon, how long did it take you to do that? Long time. But every time we went back, many times in going back, I felt he won't have any more when I get back. But every time when I got back, he had more to give me. Every time I went back, he had more blessing and breaking and giving because I never could exhaust the supply of the Lord Jesus. He never ran out. In fact, when he got through, he had 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets, Sue, and there were 12 disciples. One for each one. You'll get that in a minute. Ask your wife when you get home and she'll explain it to you. Brother Irwin, are you telling me that God supplied that every disciple while he carried the blessing out and distributed and gave the blessing that a basket was being reserved for him? That God was put, making part of the miracle? Oh, glory to God. Talk about disciples running, learning and disciples being discipled and growing in grace. Wow, how beautiful is that? But let me tell you, When the disciples were on the water rowing back across the lake and the storm came down out of the valley of the pigeons and the whole Sea of Galilee was a churning inferno, it was a mess. And the Bible said, And Jesus came unto them walking on the sea. Well, like most of us, they, they didn't know who he was. How many times has God come to us, but we didn't know who he was? How many times has God thrown us a rope, but we didn't know who it was? They said, oh, it's a ghost. It's a spirit. And the Bible said, and they were sore afraid. And Peter said, that's not a ghost. That's Jesus. And Jesus said, why were you so fearful? And the Bible said, and the fragments of feeding the multitude lay in the bottom of the boat. How in the world can you stand on one miracle and can't trust God for the next one. Those 12 fragments, those 12 baskets were in the boat with them. And they were standing on the former miracle just done and afraid and scared out of their wits about the situation they were in. Brother, if God ever helped you, He'll do it again. If God ever met a need for you, He'll do it again. If trusting God paid dividends for you, He'll do it again. If God ever supplied a need that you didn't know was coming, He'll do it again. He'll do it again. You can trust Him that time. You can trust Him this time. You can trust Him tomorrow. You can trust Him next week. You can trust Him next month. 
Because if God delivers and God heals and God blesses and sustains, then he'll do it one time, he'll do it again. And he'll keep on doing it. He'll keep on showing up. He'll keep on taking care of you. He'll keep on supplying your needs. You know, when those spies were sent over into the promised land and they came back and ten of them gave some bad report. Oh, we're, we're not, we can't do that. We're not able to do that. Those people are warlike. Those people are fierce. Those people are bigger than us. Their walls around their cities are huge. And we, we can't do this. Our vote is no. Let's not risk it. Joshua and Caleb stepped up and said, Our God. Yes, the walls are around the cities. Yes, they're warlike and fierce. Yes, they're big and strong. Yes, all the things you've been told is true. But our God is with us. And if God be with us, who or what could be against us? If God is the God of the impossible, if God is the God of victory and no defeat, power and no weakness, light and no darkness, then that God will sustain you in the midst of peril and impossible situations. He'll bring you through. Has God ever failed you? Has God ever left you alone? Has God ever broke a promise that he made to you? Well, if he's done it in the past, he'll do it again. He'll do it again. Impossible situations. Impossible situations. Jesus took that bread and he broke that bread and he blessed and he gave them to his disciples and the two fishes divided he among them all and they did all eat and were all filled. Whew. In other words, it wasn't just a little dabble, do you? It was a banquet. Praise God. They all did eat and they were all full. I love it when God fills up a house with his presence. I love when God fills your heart with his joy. I love when God sits you down at his table and feeds you from the hand of his provision. I love it. And you'll never leave that table wanting something else to eat because what he provides, he satisfies. What he gives, he gives you consolation and strength and power and sustains you. He doesn't make junk and he doesn't present bad food. Brother, when you eat at the Lord's table, it's worth sitting down to, and you'll always leave full. Always full. Impossible situations. Come on, Olivia. Impossible situations. You all know the story. You've told it many times. I read it out of an old storybook of Bible stories when I was a kid. Daniel in a lion's den. Darius had made a degree. All the presidents that were jealous of Daniel. See, sometimes when you do right, and sometimes when you continue and are steadfast and consistent in doing right, you may suffer persecution. They may talk about you. Jesus said they may say all manner of evil against you. They may vilify you. They may slander you and smear you all over the place. But I need to tell you something. 
if you'll be faithful in doing the right thing, God is committed to you. Daniel prayed three times a day. Opened the window toward the east and he got on his knees and he prayed three times a day. And those presidents over all those provinces saw Daniel do it. They knew he did it. And they went to the king and they said to King Darius, said, you've got a man in this kingdom of yours that doesn't pray to you and doesn't pray to our gods, our pagan gods. He's one of those refugees from Israel, that one of those captives that we took from the exile and we brought him here and said his God is the God he calls Jehovah God and said he prays three times a day. And now you've passed the law of the Medes and Persians that says you can't pray. When it was read to Daniel, don't pray, you can't pray. It's illegal to pray. No more praying. Stop your praying. But Daniel said, better to obey God. And he continued. The king, when he found out what he'd done, he said, oh, Daniel, I've done a terrible, terrible thing. I got sucked into a situation I didn't know what was happening. Sometimes you become a victim of situation. And he said, we've got to put you in the lines then. And he said, well, don't be afraid, O king. My God is able to deliver me I'm not really worried about it. My God will take care of me. And the Bible said that Darius spent a sleepless night. And the next morning he arose and walked down the steps. He didn't say, Daniel, are you still alive? He didn't say, are you there? He said, oh, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you out of the mouth of the lion. And Daniel said, Oh, king, my God, this night sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. He's the God of the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. Little David walked up to see his brothers bring some food. In many ways, there's a picture of Jesus in that story. I'll preach it to you sometime. They both came from the Father. They both came bearing food. They both came to their brothers. Boy, there's a lot of preaching to do right there. When he arrived, he found the place in utter chaos. Scared, wringing their hands, full of fear, full of fright, worried to death, going to get killed. These Philistines, they've come out and they've got a champion, and his name is Goliath. And Goliath, every afternoon, would walk out into the valley of Elah, and he would say, send somebody out here to fight me. I'll prove to you who your God is. I'll show you that your God can't compete with me and my God. And when David saw all of that going on, he told his brothers, he said, I'll go out there and fight. And yeah, they brushed him aside. Hey, sit down in a corner somewhere, kid. You little skinny, scrawny things sit down over there somewhere this is man's business here and he said no I'm telling you the truth I'll go out there and fight him Saul said well we're going to get the king's mail and that's not U.S. postage it's armor we're going to get you some mail the king's mail and put it on you and he, he got in that mail and he wallowed around about like a mouse in a warm morning stove 
You don't know what a morning stove is. It's that pot-bellied stove that you see on westerns. He shook around in that thing. He finally looked at his brother and said, Get this thing off of me. Get, get this. Uh, said, Well, why are you going to need it to make the best chance you got? You don't have a chance. But you sure don't have one without that armor. He said, Get it off of me. I'm not familiar with that. It don't, it don't feel right. I, I just, I've never, never used that before. Get, by all, get that off of me. And the Bible said he went down to the brook and he got five smooth stones. I call them river slicks. Five smooth stones. Well, Brother Jerry, it didn't take but one to kill the giant. Why did he get five? If you'll read closely, Goliath had four brothers. So David just said, while I'm at it, while I'm at it, might ought to just get the whole bunch. Hallelujah. Walked out there in the middle of that valley when Goliath was roaring. And little David walked out there and Goliath looked at him. He said, you little runt. I'm insulted that they would send a runt like you out here to fight a man of war like me. I'll feed you to the birds. And David said, yeah, and I'll whack your head off. And the Bible said David got out his sling and he took one of those stones and he wound up and the power of God and the host of heaven and the glory and the grace of God's powerful mighty hand got in that sling and then the Holy Ghost guided that stone to the forehead of Goliath and that mighty impossible became possible and that little boy slew that giant with one stone from the shepherd's sling Woo! what do you think that stone's name was he must have named them as five faith love hope joy peace hallelujah everything you need to defeat the devil god has provided for you everything you need to be a success for god's glory god has provided for you despise not the day of small things don't ever come up on a situation and call it impossible because jesus said all things are possible only believe only believe all things are possible only believe only believe only believe all things all things all things are possible Lord I believe that's your conviction today stand to your feet all over this house nothing shall be impossible to them that believe Jesus said if you ask anything in my name I will do it Jesus said call upon me and I will deliver thee Jesus said seek me and you'll find me oh I want to tell you you don't have to cower and you don't have to bow down when Satan roars you know the Bible 
says that the devil walks about as a roaring lion. Didn't say he was a roaring lion. He walks as a roaring lion. He's an intimidator. I said he's an intimidator. And that, that's what the lion does. He roars. Because when he roars, have you seen those documentaries, the birds fly and the, the monkeys run? Because the lions roared. Don't be intimidated by the roar of the lion. When David faced that Goliath, he said, The same God. The same God. The same God. That same God that delivered me from the paw of the bear. That same God that delivered me from the teeth of the lion. That same God will deliver me. That same God will stand by me. That same God will help me do what I need to do. Hallelujah. All things are possible. Take the hand of that person beside you. Lord, right now in Jesus' name I pray that a spirit of encouragement would move in this congregation. I pray right now, O Holy Ghost, that a spirit of victory, that a spirit of overcoming, that a spirit of winning would take root in the heart of people in this room right now. And when we go out these doors, we will go out these doors rejoicing that we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, that he that keeps us will neither slumber nor sleep. He'll not allow the sun to smite us by day nor the moon by night. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid or of what shall I fear? The Lord is my strength and the Lord is my light and the Lord is my salvation. Oh, bless your name, Jesus. I thank you this morning, God, that Bible-believing people can find grace to help in time of need. Lord, you're our God, and you always cause us to conquer and triumph. We bless your name in departing. We give you glory. We give you honor. And as the church goes out these doors, I pray that we would go out these doors confident that he that hath called us will finish the work. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Give the Lord a good shout of praise.